I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, listeners. I hope you're all well. You are tuned into yet again another installment of the collaboration between the Beautiful Game Podcast and Eurosport. As ever. I'm your host, Budge. I'm joined by my faithful co-conspirators, Ola and Dej. And we're going to be bringing you coverage of the most recent games played in the Euros, of course. Um, the semi-finals between England and Denmark and Italy and Spain. Gents, how are we doing off the back of, uh, you know, that, that, that amazing game yesterday evening? How are we feeling? Sore heads this morning? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, from the sounds of my voice, you could understand. That I had a very, very time. Uh, it was a fantastic match, and I enjoyed. It. Let's say that I enjoyed. <laughs> no, what, what an event! Those last two days, going long, extra times, penalties. Mm. We've seen it all, and when you get to this end of a competition, that climax, you're always going to get those nip and tuck games, and yeah, it's very, very enjoyable. Hundred percent. So. I mean, there is no better place for us to start uh, this this episode. Uh, there is a lot of stuff for us to cover off uh, with regard to this game that we're going to open up with, of course, between England and Denmark. And I mean, you know, talk about making history, rewriting history. One that is going to a moment, a, a night that is going to be remembered for years upon years upon years. Um, you know, England making it to their first ever. Uh, uh, final of the Euros and the first final of a major tournament since the 1966 World Cup, which was 55 years ago. So, you know, you're talking a long, long time ago since um, England have got to this stage of of a competition. And it was interesting because in the run-up to the game, uh, I had a look at the the head-to-heads between England and, and, and Denmark. And actually, the previous seven meetings between England and Denmark at Wembley ended as 1-0 uh, wins. Uh, England winning five and Denmark winning two. However, the last meeting between the two of these sides, which was back in 2020, um, Denmark ended up be, uh, being the winners. Um, so that was a bit of an interesting backdrop uh, ahead of the game. Um, and I mean, like I said, there are so many different talking points um, that we're going to discuss as part of uh, of our analysis of this game, but I wanted to ask you guys to begin with, just generally, you know, your your thoughts and feelings about the game and how things uh, sort of transpired throughout the game. Um, it was interesting to see that um, the, the the players started off very quickly and it was very high in, uh, intensity and um, you know 
and 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 that that high press and, and energetic early on. And I wondered if whether you felt that that was a tactical decision deployed by Southgate, or was that was that do you think the players playing up to the occasion almost? What 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 are your thoughts on that one, Dej? Yeah, well, first of all, to start that game, what an occasion! Like it mm. just felt like, as everyone was mentioning, the last sixteen to eighteen months of the pandemic, everyone was out celebrating. It was like a big release, and as as we mentioned, like the players, I felt they fed off the energy. But that was sort of the same tactic that was used against Ukraine: an early blitz, first five ten minutes, let's press them high, see what they've got, and. I thought England dominated for the first 15 minutes. They had a lot of the possession. They were keeping it without really creating much. Then I think the second portion of the first half, that was Denmark's. They started to find their feet, keep possession, probe, and they were very, very calm under the pressure. And I think that free kick came at a time where Denmark was sort of finding their feet in the game and causing England problems. Or should I say England were causing their own selves problems with Jordan Pickford making some mistakes, um, Calvin Phillips in the middle, misplacing some passes, then I thought this is where we're going to see if England have learned their lessons over the last, you know, the World Cup when they lost to Croatia. Can you cope with the mental strain that you're going to get put under? Mm. And this was the first piece of adversity England have been through, conceding first, conceding their first goal. And we sort of saw a picture of Gareth Southgate saying, calm down. Harry Kane pointing to, hey, boys, let's mm-hmm. focus. It's almost like the team had seen like a psychologist before this and said, okay, if we go go down, this is what we're going to do. If we get a red card, this is what we we're going to do. If we go under siege or under attack, this is what we're going to do. So they kept coming and said, you know what, boys, we still got a lot of minutes to recover this situation. And I was impressed with how England came back. Mm, most definitely. I think the whole mentality um, and, and the mental aspect of 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 how England came back was really, really impressive. Um, and I mean, going a goal down, it, it's not something that they've seen this whole tournament, yeah. you know. Uh, um, it, it was the first goal that uh, England had conceded um, and the first direct free kick that was scored at the tournament. I mean, what a free kick it was. But, I mean, despite the fact that it was a very good free kick, um, you know, there have been some fans who have shone a spotlight on Jordan Pickford and who feel that he should have done better with it. And generally speaking, there were a few moments throughout that game where, you know, it it seemed as though Jordan uh, Pickford could potentially be reverting to type. I know in previous episodes, we've spoken about the fact that, you know, he's come on leaps and bounds in this tournament and that, him seeing a, a psychologist and and working on his temperament and what and whatnot recently is, is paying dividends and and he's 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 maturing it seems to be, but there were a few scary moments in 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 that game for Pickford in particular. And Ola, I wanted to ask you, looking at the 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 um, free kick, of, you know, in isolation, do you feel that he should have done better? Do you think that he he should have saved that? I think it's definitely first thing to say you have to give. Credit to Damsgaard, that is a fantastic, fantastic strike. It really did set me back when he struck it that well. He struck it in the way he struck it because that was a knuckleball. Um, and knuckleballs are always, <laughs> always difficult to handle, difficult to manage. And they move ridiculously fast. They mm. they are a very, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful technique. 
it's a beautiful technique to disguise a shot. So then it looks like it's going slow, but actually it's going very, very fast. Um, but that being said, all of that being said, I do think he should have done better. I think his placement should have been a little bit more central, um, especially for where the free creek was placed. It wasn't too far on the left-hand side, so it should have really been a bit more of a central setup for himself, um, I think, anyway. However, I'm not a goalkeeper, so I can't say that uh, that's an easy save because I don't think it. I don't think it really was. Mm. Um, I love Jordan Pickford. Um, I think he has come on so so much during this tournament. Um, I am going to be maybe very very harsh and something that he cannot he cannot uh, change about himself. His arms maybe not the longest for a uh, goalkeeper. He, may, he might not have the same sort of reach. But he does I remember seeing it. some <laughs> pictures. <I'm sorry. laughs> that was like the, the, the tamest way I could say my man's got T-Rex on. But like, uh, no, he's, he, is, he is fantastic. And it has been very, very harsh on himself, uh, on him even. Um, I do think he should have done better. And I think he would know that as well. And he's, he's his biggest critic. I think mm. um, the beautiful th thing about this whole England team is that everyone is very quite self-aware and everyone's um, understanding of themselves and also understanding of the team and everyone gets on each other's, uh, uh, has each other's back. So I think uh, in terms of actually a team mentality, when when they had that moment, like we, like we said, Harry Kane, like uh, pointing to his head, trying to be a leader, trying to calm the team down, um, and everyone like understanding like listen like it's gonna these things are gonna happen um it's not the end of the world and we've got such a great team to come back in this moment i think um i think jordan has actually had a fantastic euros and i think mm -hmm. there's always going to be a game where your goalkeeper is not going to have the best the, the best the best game like everyone's going to have a game within this tournament where they they're not performing the best we've even talked about mason mount where he hasn't put in the performances that he mm -hmm. we think that he can produce. Um, so when that happens, you have to have a, a great team behind you. And I think that's what Jordan Pickford had. He had a very good team behind him mm -hmm. to support him and then to also see out the game and, and get the win overall. Like it wasn't the, the it wasn't the best performance from England as a as a whole. Um, but it was it was spiritual. Like you had Wembley going crazy. You had the yeah. whole team like riding for each other. Mason Mount running probably the most he has all season <laughs> yeah. to like mm -hmm. um to like make something happen um so yeah so in terms of goalkeeping performance it wasn't the best in terms mm -hmm. of the team performance it was spiritual 100 <laughs> percent. and you know what I, I i wanted to uh also very quickly touch on uh jordan pickford's counterpart in the uh, uh in the other goal uh, at the other side of the the, the pitch in in cashbus michael and obviously we, we all saw the headlines that he was grabbing with some of the comments that he made prior to the game about and questioning if it, if, questioning if it has ever come home for England. Um, and I mean, he really lived up to his, uh, his, his billing in terms of being a villain um, in, in, in that game with some absolutely enormous saves. Um, and yeah, I mean, Dej, I, I just wanted you know to ask if 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 you wanted to sort of share your views on on his performance and and some of the saves that he he made, I think, which ultimately kept uh, Denmark in the game for, for for large spells. Yeah, I mean, what a keeper he is. I mean, he's someone that's always impressed me. Even if we take it back a month or so ago in the FA Cup final against Chelsea, like he made a similar save yesterday when he clawed it round the post with his hand. You know, the Raheem Sterling chance as well. Mm. People are saying, what a save. 
I sort of stare closer to what I miss. I think from that, <laughs> when you're that close, you should be finishing it. But nonetheless, the goalkeeper had a job to do. But throughout this tournament, even if we take it back to the first game, when the unfortunate circumstances around Christian Eriksen happened, the way he dealt with that with Simon Kier, he's just someone, whenever you see him talk in the press, whenever you see him, he just carries himself so well. And that transmutes onto the football pitch. And that's mm. what we saw, just an accumulation of, the many great performances that we've seen for Casper Schmeichel. So, so what a goalkeeper! Hundred percent. Big shout out to him. That was that was an absolute mm. immense performance. I've got to say. Now, um, we we've we've covered this game and spoken at, at length about different elements of it. Um, we have, of course, I, we're, we're uh, of course yet to, um, I guess, address the elephant in the room, which is. <laughs> Was it or wasn't the, it? Exactly <laughs> that. Which is which is the penalty. Now, um, this is definitely a, a a matter which is split in opinion, even amongst England fans, right? Um, where some say absolutely Stonewall, it was a penalty, there was some contact, and others who feel as though it was very soft. And I remember post-game. Um, you know, when the analysis was being given, even uh, Ian Wright, one of the points that he made was that we've seen these given throughout the season in the Premier League, you know, and we argue that they're soft and, and, and that they shouldn't necessarily be. But at least there is consistency on that front that it's, it's not something new to us. We've seen this before. It may be soft, but they, we've seen them being given. Where do you guys sit on this particular call? Was it a penalty or wasn't it? And we're going to kick off with you, Ola. Um, for me, it is definitely a penalty. <laughs> um, <laughs> one for the vibes, one for the hype. But also in terms of technic uh, technical uh, officiating, I definitely think it's a penalty. I think, um, I think the interesting thing about it is that it looked like Raheem was looking for contact on his right-hand side, on his right leg. Um, and you can see how his leg moves to try and find that contact and also to, to go down to win the penalty. But the actual contact came on his left side and on his left leg. And mm -hmm. that's where I think um, the contact was made. It was a foul and he won the penalty. Um, beforehand, there was another penalty shout, which mm -hmm. I thought was Stonewall. Mm -hmm. And then when it went to VAR, I thought they're going to give it. And when they mm -hmm. didn't give it, the, the, the shock and awe in in the room that I was when 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 we when I was watching it was palpable. Everyone everyone felt that that was definitely a penalty before. That was the one on Harry Kane, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So so was it a case of maybe the referee balancing things up and giving some retribution? I think I think it's a very human thing to do. I think obviously, like because it's a cliche, I think we all know that that sort of thing can happen. But also on the same time, on the same on the same. In the same way, I do think that it was the correct call, regardless of if he was balancing up or not. I still think it was a foul, and it was a foul in the box, and foul in the box means it's a penalty. So yeah. I think, I think, yeah, it was definitely a penalty. I think that falls under the category of dubious. I, I don't think it was a penalty. When I saw it first time, I thought, spot on, nailed on. Then when we sort of saw the replays, I was like, is that it? Is that the only content mm. that made Raheem Sterling fall down? And I said, not for me. But as an England fan, you'll take it. But mm. if that was on the other foot, if that was Damsgaard that went down, I think the newspapers and the press would have been lamenting <laughs> the referee. But mm. when you think back in England's history, I remember 2010, Lampard's goal crossing the line, 
no mm. VAR there. People talk about events evening themselves out on the biggest stage. Maybe, you know, this might be the one to even itself out. But for me, that wasn't a penalty. And the Danes have every sort of right to be incandescent, in my mm. opinion. Fair, fair play, of course. Sometimes you do need the rub of the green. You need yeah. a bit of luck in these, in, these, in these big tournaments. And I mean, it has been a while since England have had um, some, some, some good fortune and, and good luck. And maybe it was, it was our turn uh, to benefit from that this time round. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ultimately, if it means uh, uh, lifting the, 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 the trophy um, on, on Sunday uh, evening, um, then I think everyone will be will be will be pleased and happy that 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 uh, things transpired the way that they did. But like you said, Dej, of course, um, you know the, the the Danes will of course uh, have every right to feel aggrieved. You know the, the performances that they've put in, the fact that they've managed to rally uh, round and and you know after such a, a, a horrible uh, experience uh, early on in the tournament. Um, the fact that they've got this far and, 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 and played as well as they have, you know, absolute kudos to them, man. It, it has been very, very impressive, most certainly. Um, and so still on the topic of this penalty, um, we saw, of course, Harry Kane step up um, and the initial penalty was saved. He obviously then followed up with the, with the rebound. Um, and I remember Gareth Southgate post-match speaking about the fact that um, you know, if there was anyone that you wanted to take that penalty, it would have been Harry Kane. You would have trusted no one more than him. Um, and we've seen him slot those away for Spurs week in, week out. And I mean, when I think about it, it, it poses a wider question to me, which is Harry Kane is probably our best penalty taker. But under the pressure of the moment, he, he fluffed his lines a little bit. Let's, let's, let's have it right, right? Honestly, it wasn't a, a great penalty. We got the goal in the end, but it wasn't a great penalty. Now, looking ahead into the final, there is every chance that potentially it could go to penalties. We've seen how good uh, Italy have done in penalty shootouts and, and the fact that sometimes it seems as though they're even willing it to go to penalties because they trust <laughs> their goalkeeper, they yeah. trust their penalty takers that much. In the next few days, in preparation of Sunday, do you feel that penalty taking and how to deal with and manage penalties is something that Gareth Southgate should be focusing on and will be focusing on or not? And, and, and I want to pose that question to you to start off with, uh, Ola. I think, um, I think Gareth Southgate will go out to win the match first, uh, first and foremost. Um, and I think he'll prepare himself that way. And I think he'll prepare his team that way as well. Um, I also think it would be blindsiding if he doesn't prepare his team for penalties. Like you said, for all the points that you made, like um, Italy are definitely prepared to go to penalties. They're prepared to play the long game. They're, they're, they trust themselves to win the match and they put everything on the line to make sure that they don't lose the match. So going to penalties is always an option for them and it's always an option that they trust. They don't have the same sort of psychology as England, even though I don't think this England team holds this, but England as a as a footballing nation has this, uh, has this fixation on penalties and has this history with penalties where it's not exactly the most positive. So mm. that will always be a factor. That will always be a factor. Um, so I think it would be wise to get onto penalties. With Harry Kane's penalty yesterday, um, I think it was more of a good save. I don't, think it was, I don't think it was the best penalty at all, 
Um, but it's also Harry Kane. I think he still struck it with conviction. I still think he he hits it hard and low and well. Um, but he thinks so, Ola. I'm yeah. used to seeing Harry Kane put it in the onion bag, right in the side. <laughs> right. This one was more central. Was it easy? Yeah. Was it easy? That was probably one of the worst Harry Kane penalties I've seen. And it was yeah. Before he took the penalty, you could see the sort of weight of the mm. nation on his shoulders, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I think the pressure definitely caught up with him. But sorry, I, sorry to cut in. No, 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 no. It's all good. Like I think, I think you're right. I think it was definitely a high pressure situation. Um, this was the biggest crowd they've seen in Wembley. Um, and it's the semi-finals of of the Euros, and they've never been there before. Um, well, they haven't they haven't won and gone through before. So, so I definitely think there was a lot of pressure on him. I, I still, for me, I'm going to maintain that he struck it well, which is which is which is quite funny that I'm riding for Harry Kane because before I was slating him so much throughout this whole time. Are you wearing an Arsenal shirt as well? <laughs> if you look back in the archives, he's one of our own, but we'll, 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 save, that for another, we'll save that for another podcast. Um, <laughs> I think, um, I think, yeah, I still maintain that he, I, I think he, I think he's still here with conviction. I don't think it was a, the best penalty, like you said. Uh, I still think he hit it with conviction. I still think Casper Schweikel made an excellent save. Obviously, he made up for it, which was amazing. And it was a fantastic moment. But I do think, yeah, we have to... I think any team has to be prepared. And part of that preparation is preparing for penalties. Um, and finding finding the people in your team who are mentally strong enough to let the weight completely fall off their shoulders. Let everything just go mm-hmm. to one side and just have that moment with the keeper. And... And for me, as an amateur playing football, when, I, when I've ever taken penalties, it really, you have to go in with a very, very, very positive mindset. For me, I always see a penalty as, oh, this is a free goal. And when I have that mentality, it's very hard for me to think that I'm going to miss. I'm always thinking I'm going to score anyway. So regardless of if it's a scrappy goal, if it's a terrible penalty, if I, wherever I put it, I have to think that it's going to go in. And I think mm-hmm. that the England team also has to have the same mentality where, it's a positive thing rather than a negative thing. It's not thinking the game's on the line. It's thinking the game's there to be won. And I think that's what they have to do with, with in regards to the, the game as a whole. Um, but if it comes down to penalties, also that. Yeah, for sure. I think penalties is something in the last World Cup campaign that they were quite overt and open about the fact that they were preparing diligently. They were sort of doing the run-ups from the halfway line to the goal to make sure they can cope with the pressure. Obviously, you can never recreate the Wembley atmosphere that they would be if it is to go into penalties. But I think part of the details, those 1% that Gareth Southgate has been working on is making sure that players find their routine, try and do the situation as much as possible. So maybe after a training session for 30, 40 minutes, okay, let's be practicing our penalties. So if in this situation that we do have to take a penalty, this is where we're going to go. And and also, technology is advanced. Goalkeepers do their homework. So it's a case of, you know, mixing up your routine as well, not going for the obvious side that you normally go for. So I think penalties is something definitely that they've been working on for the past few years leading up to this moment. Because to not to will be gross negligence, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just a quick one, just for me being very cheeky and having some fun. Um, if you're going to take a penalty, where are you going to put it? Whew. I would say... Bottom right. Ooh. When you go high, you got to get your body <laughs> in the right because you can lean back and sky it. So I would yeah. say bottom right. 
I'm, I'm, I love, I'm bottom left. I'm bottom left. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love rapping it. Um, I love rapping it to goalkeeper's top right. Just like that little whip. Ooh. Yeah. It's, it's high risk, but high reward. That is high risk. That's it. That's it. That's what I'm saying bottom, because if you lean back, you've seen it so many times. Yeah, it's man. a technique that you need to, you know, get right. <laughs> 100%. 100%. It's really interesting that... Um, what seems to be cropping up quite a bit is this 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 mental this mentality thing, you know, and the fact that it's it's all the psycho uh, psychology of things and, and getting into the right frame of mind and and whatnot. And like you said, Dej, those one percent are all in preparation, you know, mentally uh, as as much as physically and tactically. It's it's it's, it's that mental preparation as well. And we know that the that the team that England are going to play in the finals are absolute mentality monsters you know mm. when we were talking off air about just how how this team prepares and how they they, they turn up for games and the fact that it's like they they're in they're in war literally yeah. you know these are these are skilled warriors going to war um and 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 the fact that it's it's almost like a, a bloodlust for for defending that they have when they when they, when they're winning last ditch challenges and saving things off the line and it's just a real passion and I think it's going to be a real uh, um, you know a heated affair when 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 the two teams collide on Sunday. But before we 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 look ahead to that final, we've also got to speak about that semi final that was played between Italy and Spain, and I mean. That also was another really enthralling game. Back, back to front, front to back, end-to-end stuff. It was, it was all over the place, man. Um, and I mean, it was a, 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 a game where you had t- two teams who were very evenly matched. And the, the previous record between those two teams uh, show and suggest exactly that, that these are two very evenly matched teams. This is actually um, the fourth consecutive Euros tournament that these teams have met together in the knockout stages. Uh, Spain obviously won in 2008 and 2012, and then Italy won um, uh, most recently back in 2016. Um, and we've seen both these, these teams do so well in the tournament so far. Um, Italy going into it, of course, were the only team of the semi-finalists to have a 100% record um, in, you know, in, in winning all of their games. But then we've seen Spain just turn up the heat, man. You know, uh, play teams off the park and just score for fun, left, right, and centre. Um, before we talk about the game specifically, I wonder, I wondered if you guys had any thoughts on when you saw the team um, lineups. Of course, for, from an Italy perspective, one change was enforced in that um, yeah. Leonardo uh, Spinozola had had been injured, and so Emerson had to come in. But on the Spain side of things, um, we saw Murata drop to the bench. Uh, Oyarzabal and Dani Olmo come into the to the starting uh, uh, eleven, who have been players that have come off the bench to do very well for Luis Enrique's Spain team. Um, and of course, the, the the young starlet Pedri maintain his position uh, in in midfield. But I wondered if in in seeing those two um, uh, matchups in terms of the lineups. Did you guys have any initial thoughts about some of the decisions being made? Do you think that they, they were the right decisions being made by both uh, managers? I think on the Italy front, we're only expecting that one change, Emerson to come in. And I think he had a great game, to be honest. Mm. He filled in well. Obviously, he wasn't as high up as Spinozola, 
but he played with the ball in front of him, running onto the ball. He had some great foraging runs. In terms of Spain, I was surprised not to see Morata start, especially mm. with him coming into form, scoring that brilliant goal the other day as well. I thought he was going to be allowed to continue that momentum. And for him, you know, Luis Enrique is sort of giving him the vote of confidence, saying, you're my man. So if you're his man in your biggest game of the tournament so far, why don't you start him? But on the other hand, you could sort of say it was a tactical decision, which was to overpopulate the midfield, play in those half spaces and give Benucci and Cellini something to think about. And to be fair, Luis Enrique can say it did pay dividends because by the time Morata came onto the pitch, they were a bit tired and leggy. And mm. for the goal, Morata actually lost Cellini to score the goal. So, yeah, I, I would say I was a bit shocked. I expected Morata to start. But the way the game went, you can kind of say Luis Enrique had a point. Hundred percent. And and where do you sit with uh, on that? Uh, are you in agreement with that? I think another change that he made was uh, taking off Paul Torres and bringing in Eric Garcia. Um, you know, do you think there was was there anything in particular that um, Luis Enrique was thinking in making that change? You know, we've seen Paul Torres start for for I think almost all of the games. Yeah. Um, so you know, what was the? Do you, do you think there was a particular reason in for that for that change? I think um, I'm actually really not quite sure. I think I, could, I think you could possibly say there's 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 fatigue there. I think mm-hmm. obviously from starting all the games, mm-hmm. um, it, uh, Paul Torres might be a little bit lucky. But I think Paul Torres has been playing very well. Mm-hmm. I think Eric Garcia is a bit more defensively minded and a bit more solid so then like like uh, Dej was saying populating that midfield and then disrupting Italy's midfield I think that's definitely an idea in his head when it with regarding that decision um but honestly I'm actually really not quite sure I like Eric Garcia but I don't think he's uh been playing that well this season to that mm-hmm. same level to to come in uh for Paul Torres like that mm-hmm. however going back to um Morata I think I was I was I was also quite surprised. I was looking for Danny Olmo for this whole tournament. Um, I, I watched a lot of Bundesliga oh, yeah, this season, man. and I th- yeah. he's, he's he's a very good player. <laughs> but like um, he was also very fatigued. Um, I I, I did recognize that Luis Garcia. Uh, uh, um, oh my days, Enrique. Enrique Enrique was um was managing his minutes definitely, and I think he was warming. He's getting uh, uh Danny Olmo warmed up to to the, to this tournament. Um, and I was, I was, I was always on the lookout for Danny almost to put in the performances that I've been seeing uh, when he's been playing for Leipzig. And for me, although he got quite a few assists, which were amazing, I didn't think I saw the same Danny Olmo um, as I've seen for Leipzig, the same sort of player who can really, really actually take charge of a game, even though he has has some amazing moments. Um, but it was, he was warming up. To to be fair, like to, when he got when it got round to this game, he was in the best form that he has been throughout this tournament. So I do understand playing him, and I do understand the 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 energy that he puts into the team. I also do understand that he 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 is one to actually take chances and to 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 provide and to create as well um, in that front line. Um, and he was very close as well. He he had a, a couple of shots that were that were close to close to going in. A couple of chances that could have really made the game a lot different. Um, so it was an interesting thing. I still think I would have started Morata there. Fair, fair play. You know what? I actually wanted to go back to a point that Dej made, which was very interesting, which was um, 
in terms of the strategy for Luis Enrique, it was about congesting that midfield. And 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 ultimately, I feel as though um, the, the midfield of this game was... It had a huge bearing on 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 the outcome of the game and and the way the game actually transpired. On the Italian front, you've got players, um, you've got Barella, you've got Jorginho, you've got Verratti. On the Spanish front, you've got Coke, Pedri, and Busquets. And although ultimately um, Italy won, I think Spain surprised a, a, you know a lot of us in terms of how they were dominating in that particular area. Uh, Busquets rolling back the years, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and playing absolutely outstandingly. And then you had that young Pedri. Ooh. When you consider the, the, the players that were on display in that game, right? Some of the names that we've already mentioned in the midfield, to be the youngest of them all uh, and to have the quality uh, in and around you that you're, you're, you're playing with and against, to complete a hundred percent of your passes, and and looking at the game, it wasn't just the the safe mm. side to side, back to centre half passes. Yeah. They were incisive, forward, uh, 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 moving passes. I just I just found that 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 midfield uh, battle between the two teams was particularly interesting. Dej, I don't know if you had anything in particular that stood out to you on that front. No, hundred percent, I agree, and that was always going to be the department of the game where the game was won and lost. When you look at both teams, pure technicians. It was a technician yeah. fest. You yeah. know, all of them are comfortable on the ball, press resistant. But as you mentioned, Pedri really stood out. That boy has got elite pass appreciation, you know, receiving the ball, playing it in the correct way. And I thought Italy would have expected that, you know what, for large portions of this game, we're going to be without the ball. But it's about what we do off the ball. And as we mentioned off air, you know, Benucci and Cellini, they don't love playing football. They love defending. Yeah. <laughs> and that's an art in itself. So I think Italy and Mancini were comfortable with the fact that, you know, Spain were going to play their tippy-tappy stuff, but can they penetrate? And that was the bigger question. And I think Eyazabal, he's someone that's really caught the eye for me for Real Sociedad mm. this season. I think he's someone that would have woken up a few nights ago and thought, hmm, I cost my team there. I should have really put one of these chances away. Mm. And I thought that was the difference because... If Spain scored those chances, suddenly we're talking about how Spain dominated and they penetrated. Mm. And that was sort of the theme of their first one or two games where they were dominating the ball, but they weren't scoring the goals. Of recent, in the last two games, they came alive and, you know, they were scoring five goals, three goals. So we sort of thought everything clicked. But Italy are the creme de la creme, the elite. <laughs> and they fluffed their lines. Or Yazabal fluffed these lines. Mm. Mm. Most certainly. I, I, I can definitely remember a few chances that Oyazabal should have put away. I remember the the header. I think it was Koke that played it over the top and he just was had a free header on goal and he, and he fluffed his lines, cutting in from the right. Yeah. You know, the, uh, there was a few that really ultimately, you know, he, he should have he should have put away. Um, but I, I mean, I, I know we touched on him earlier. For me, one of the standout players was Danny Olmo. I, I mean, just... yeah. His performance was absolutely unreal. He was at the, you know, really in the thick of things and, and, and really at the heart of a lot of the positive things that were coming out of Spain, in, in addition to Pedri, who we've, we've obviously mentioned um, uh, just, just now too. And I'm just thinking, in, in all of the peril that 
Barcelona find themselves in, <laughs> I think Pedri certainly is a, a, a silver lining to the cloud because, I mean, you got him and De Jong in, in, in the midfield. And I know we've spoken before uh, on our episodes about, you know, the fact that the Barcelona midfield isn't what it once was with your, you, you know, a, a young uh, Busquets in his prime and Xavi and Iniesta. But I mean, if those two boys, uh, Indy Young and Pedri, stick around, you know, they they've got they've got uh, very very bright futures ahead of them, and and certainly in this rebuilding phase that Barcelona find themselves in, uh, will, will be no doubt central to those to those plans. Um, so just to wrap things up, then looking at uh, ahead to the final. Um, how how do you guys see it going in terms of the in terms of the the, the, the starting 11s do you feel that again it will be more of the same and, and not too much change on the part of both managers uh, and ultimately the question i've got to ask is is it coming home <laughs> is it coming home at the moment it's at it's at the it's at the front door uh, trying to find its uh, trying to find its, its its house keys but is it is it coming home is the question ultimately you know what Let's go for it. That's a fun. It's coming home. Nah, if it if it does find its house keys, if it does walk through the front door, it will only be through pure spirit, pure spirit. There'll be some sort of magic moment. Uh, that's the only. That's literally the only way I see it going. Um, it's the, such a such a solid team. They're such professionals. Like mm. we said, the mentality monsters, they know exactly what they're doing. They've been there countless, countless times. Um, the the Wembley arena will not phase them at all. I think, yeah, I think if it was to come home, it would be something absolutely special that did bring it home. Um, but we've got such a good team. We've got such a good team and we've got such a, a great mentality as well. Maybe not mentality monsters, but the nice guys, <laughs> the mm-hmm. guys who work and play for each other, the guys who don't see their uh, club lines uh, uh, putting a boundary between them, the guys who mm-hmm. who absolutely love young Chile, Bakaya uh, Saka. He's <laughs> a great kid, fantastic <laughs> at football. This is a beautiful and special team. And I think if it was to come home, one, it'll be Raheem Sterling to bring it home. And two, it would be a special, up, special time. Up. Mm, the question you asked about the two starting 11s I think England will go the same the only position that Southgate sort of looks to chop and change is on the right whether it's Saka Foden Sancho and I think for this game he'll go for the reliability of Bukaya Saka because he's someone you can rely on he's very efficient you know he picks the right pass he's diligent defensively Um, in regards to Italy I also think they'll go the same as well Obviously, midfield, they've got a lot of options. Piscina, Locatelli on the bench. So mm. they might spring a surprise there. Uh, is it coming home? You know, I keep hearing that song drive past my house. <laughs> when you're in the supermarket, yeah, it's coming home. <laughs> you know, you can't escape it. And But if there's one team that you'll pick in the world to play those villains, it's Italy, it's mm. Cellini, it's yeah. Benucci. I remember a few years ago in the Champions League, you know, Tottenham, and they were doing well, very, very well. Then Juventus came back 
and Cellini had that famous press conference after. It's in the history <laughs> of Tottenham. Yeah. He's the ultimate villain. But I just think there's something special happening. And I think with the Euros being held in this country, if it was abroad in France, Italy, you don't really feel it. But there's there's an energy, there's a vibe. And I think that's contagious. The players mm. are feeding off it. We saw them after the game soak it in. They know that this is their chance to immortalise themselves in history. This is a chance for there to be a Sir Harry Kane, Sir Raheem Sterling, Sir exactly Calvin that. Phillips. So I think the boys need to go out there and go and make it out, go and make it happen. And we need to stop talking as if England are underdogs. In their team, they've got Premier League winners. Mason Mount is a Champions League winner. They've got players that have won these tournaments at the highest level. So I think they just need to go out there and believe it because they can beat Italy. Is it going to be a massive task? Of course it is. But when you're fighting for those top honours in world football, you can't expect an easy touch. So, you know what? I think I'm just going to say it's coming home, man. It's coming home. <laughs> honestly, honestly, yeah, Jeff, man, I, feel... I think you've got to be positive, man. you got to be positive. 100%. I, I certainly feel rallied by that speech, man. Just as I've got my window open. So just as you were saying, <laughs> all of a sudden, like the sun came out yeah. and it started shining and whatnot. And I was like, okay, maybe this is the energy that Dej is talking about, man. I feel yeah. like I'm, I want to watch the final now. Like I'm ready. I'm pumped <laughs> and I'm ready to go, man. So of course it will be very, very interesting. Like you say, we do have the home advantage, it being at Wembley. And you can, you just know, man, like, there, there's everyone's going to be tuned into this game, man. You're going to see pubs packed to the rafters, every box park, uh, you know, full capacity and 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 whatnot, man. It's gonna it's gonna be uh, quite the occasion, most most definitely, man. And I mean, a uh, uh, sp- uh, special shout out to Calvin Phillips, to Declan Ooh. Rice, and Mason Mount. If you guys are listening. Make sure you get into those ice baths. We need those legs. <laughs> We're going to need those legs in Calvin Phillips. Calvin Phillips ran 15 kilometers. Oh my you know, God. Yeah, that yesterday. is unreal. That's the man. most of any player. So that murder football that Bielsa's <laughs> playing that leads. Definitely <laughs> so yeah, man, I just think the boys need to go for it and, and it's mm. there for them. Now, there is no better way for us to, 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 to end, man. We've got to leave it there. Of course, we're all very excited. We'll be waiting with uh, bated breath ahead of Sunday. Um, and we'll be back early next week again to do exactly as we have done throughout this tournament. And that is bringing you coverage of um, each of the games. Um, of course, we'll, we'll be, um, you know, looking back at the final, what happened, the, the ups, the downs, the backs, the fourths, um, and just sharing our thoughts and views on how things transpired. We hope and we pray uh, and we, uh, you know, maintain the confidence that it's going to be a very positive one. The next time we do uh, uh, an, an episode, we're going to be singing that, that famous song, you know, um, in, in full voice. Uh, but until then, we're going to leave it there. Uh, thank you very much for listening in up until this point in time. Dej, Ola, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts Pleasure. on uh, the, the semifinals. Uh, and you know, yeah, you know, we, we, we all feel it's coming home and, and we're confident that it will be. And, and, and on, uh, you know, early next week, we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll speak, uh, in more detail about the final, but until then guys over and out. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.